All right, we shall uh, start. Must find out what's wrong with this. Hello, oh, it, it you. was working. <laughs> Oh, did I step on it? No, I don't know. It's just it's, the volume seems to be... There it is. Oh. I must have the magic touch. Hello? Okay. Yeah. As you guys come stumbling back to the from the kitchen... <laughs> no, I, I didn't mean anything by that. They were rushing back. They were rushing back. They were flooding back in. I was stumbling over my cord here, and that might have been why I had mic problems, so... Anyway, has anybody ever heard this one or read this one? There's a prize in every box. You guys remember Cracker Jacks, right? Or even in cereal. There's a prize in every story in this book. And we'll see what we're uh, looking for on that. I'm sure that if uh, maybe I'd be correct if I could say that most of you would like surprises if they're good. But a lot of you probably don't really appreciate surprises. But we have a surprise today, and you'll have to wait till the pretty well near the end of the story as we go through our uh, passage today. We'll see what that prize is in Scripture here. Let's go to the Word of God. We're in Luke. 17. Let's continue where we left off at verse 11. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. They raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, whom he saw that had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Father, Your Word is precious. It's truth in every way. Thank You that You would reveal it through the written Word so that we, so many years later, can read it and understand what You're saying by Your Spirit. Lord, in this today we pray that we will see that You're speaking. We're here to listen. To listen to Your truth as we have just read to be able to understand You better, to glorify You better, to live this life out appreciating what You have done for us. In Your Son's name we pray, Amen. Well, at first glance in this passage, you would think that this is a lesson on gratitude and thankfulness. And it actually is. 
certainly a good uh, principle, isn't it? Thankfulness. I mean, that's the way that we are to live our Christian lives. Giving thanks always. It's supreme in its importance, is it not? But if that's all it is, and I say this reverently, and hang with me here, that it's more than just being thankful. Uh, If that's all it is, then only one is thankful in this story, and nine are not. So, the message would be, don't be like those nine. Be like the one. And we could certainly do that. And I'm sure I've been here before and taught on thankfulness, and there would be nothing wrong in that. It is perfectly in the context there. But our study in Luke, as we go verse by verse, word by word sometimes, phrase by phrase, we have to keep everything in context. So where you would start in your context is always a good place to go back and remember sometimes. Go back to Luke 1. Why did Luke write this? Well, it says in verse 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us. He's writing an account accurate account. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order. Most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Luke was accurate as a historian, as a writer, being inspired by the Holy Spirit. Everything is perfect. And he searched it out, though, in his own way as he went to the individuals that were familiar with the story of Christ. And that's what he does all the way through his Gospel account. Everything down to the detail is pointing to one thing. It's the cross. The death, the burial, the resurrection. It's what's called the gospel. It's the good news. The gospel is God, actually. And here, in a nutshell, we see in Luke's account that he's taking us to the cross. Jesus is the one who's going to go to his destination. So that is the context of the whole book and why we're at where we're at here. On the way to Jerusalem. You'll see that in the first verse there. We've seen this before. It's not just filler. It's not just introduction. It's something very significant. And all this is unfolding. It's unwrapping. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? Why did He come? All that has come before, we just don't want to take from this as gratitude, thankfulness alone. There's much more to it than that. There's a prize here that we're digging for. 
In chapter 7, 16, you had the widow's son. Son was raised from death. People praised God, didn't they? They praised God. I'm sure the family was thanking God. What did they do when they praised God? They said, He's a prophet. Some people called him Jeremiah, Isaiah. He's a prophet that's come back. He's Elijah. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's more than a prophet. He is a prophet, but he's more. You had Peter give that great confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. An amazing confession there. He's moving towards Jerusalem. He's seeking to save the lost. He gave three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. He's teaching what salvation is about. He's teaching that it is Him that is all about. He is here to seek and to save the lost, the sinners. Believe me, the sinners were paying much attention to Him as it is already said in Luke and we saw that earlier that the sinners came to listen to Him. Remember that? Pharisees are the righteous. They're not the sinners. Quote. But those bad people are and they're listening to Christ. They're they're looking after Him but it's because He sought them out first. Luke is constantly moving this story to Jerusalem because for those lost to be saved, and that's what he's doing, he's saving them, it takes effect at the destination, the cross. It's where everything goes back to, isn't it? It's the cross. So this is a story where it has an element of surprise so as you came here he said oh we're going to talk about Thanksgiving again we've done that recently quite a bit and that's really what we're about that's praising God when we thank Him always thanking Him but we're going to take this today to even a deeper level if we can and it's related to our title today start off in uh, verse 11. While he was on the way to Jerusalem. Now, that introduction that I just did, I don't have to really elaborate too much. I've pretty well covered that, haven't I? And so that, that's the key that gets us started off. It's of supreme importance. It's not just a little phrase in passing. It is important. It reminds us of what Jesus' mission really is here. Uh, you remember what what has happened already, probably as uh, in John 11, you have Lazarus being raised from the dead. Uh, the people in Jerusalem were seeing a dead man raised, or they saw him walking the next day. They heard the story. It got all over Jerusalem in a hurry. Pharisees knew about it. They couldn't deny it. It happened. He's a walking dead man who is now alive. What do you do with that? Well, it's time to kill him, right? Well, see, he left. 
and went north. Back up to Galilee. Went up to Samaria area. And in this case, it would be somewhere around Ephraim. Kind of uh, the part where Galilee, Samaria is meeting there. And we can see that he is on his timetable. It'll only happen when it is time. That's why he's back up there. But we know he's making his way to Jerusalem. And we say, well, wait a minute. He already has been there to Jerusalem. He kind of goes in and out in these last few months. He's there, but then he goes back up. So, but we're talking the destination. The final trip to Jerusalem is coming. Luke 19.10. It's good to know this. I've been saying it quite a bit this morning already. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Who seeks? Christ does. We seek, but only because He has sought us. We seek for other things, don't we? So, all along, the multitudes are coming into the kingdom of God. Many people saved. Most of Israel, though, does not put their faith in Christ. But some do see that sinners are saved. Many sheep without a shepherd. He brings the sinners to Him. Saves many. They've been found by Him. So it says in our Luke 17. While He was on the way to Jerusalem, He was passing between Samaria and Galilee. It's a place that the Jews did not ordinarily travel through. They would never go there. They'd go out of their way to avoid Samaria. If they wanted to go north to Galilee, they would walk around. They would go over on the other side of the Jordan and come back around that way. The Jews, the Samaritans, they hated each other. For hundreds of years it's been that way. Jews had prided themselves in their racial purity. They were the seed of Abraham. Their lineage could be traced back all the way to the twelve tribes of Israel or Jacob. They were proud of that. The Samaritans, on the other hand, were half-breeds. They were originally Jewish, but as time went on, and it's because the foreign armies that came in, because of the judgment that was given to them by God, Nations came, took them away. They intermarried, uh, so they were half-breeds. They had a lot of differences. The Jews, Samaritans, politically. Uh, it's a divided people. Much hatred. Divided as they were. Even in religion, they had conflict. Samaritans had their own place of worship, their own temple. The Jews had their temple in Jerusalem. Makes you think of John 4 where you have a Samaritan woman. We might even touch on that in a little bit. But she was saying, hey, you have your temple, we have our temple. You know, it's like, oh yeah, where are we supposed to worship at? You know, this is which is the right one. Of course, the if you want to go by physical building in that place, it would be in Jerusalem. 
But we're going deeper than that. Jesus showed our need of Him. The uh, Samaritans had their own Bible. It was just the first five books of the Bible. The first five books of Moses. You had the Maccabean era, era before the time of Christ. A couple hundred years or so. And, uh, of course, they were involved in wars, really, against people like the Greeks uh, trying to take totally over where they were at. The Jews didn't like that. The Maccabeans raised up. Rebelled against them and got their temple kind of back. Uh, the Jews went and raided the Maccabean temple in Samaria. and It, it really wasn't uh, worship of the true God at all. Idolatry worship there, but the Samaritans responded by sneaking into the temple also themselves and they defiled it. A lot of people hadn't defiled the temple. There was a lot of bad blood between the Jews, the Samaritans, and yet as we look at this story today, with all the prejudice that they had, you have a Samaritan in this story, at least one, and maybe nine Jews. You could have more Samaritans and less Jews. But there's at least one. And isn't it interesting that prejudice can fall away in the time of calamity? There's a tragic disease that it struck these ten men. They banded together despite their racial, religious differences. And they were together. And here it is in Ephraim. Jesus just happens to be there. You notice I said happens. This is not by accident. It was time for one person to be saved. And he has said before, John 4, I must needs to go to Samaria. There was a woman at the well there that he had to save. So there he is. He's up north and he's at a certain village. We don't know where it's at. Very possibly, though, in the region where Ephraim would be. It's in the region of Samaria and Galilee. We move on. Verse 12, As he entered a village, here comes these ten lepers. But they only go so far. They're standing at a distance. Probably have heard that Jesus is in the area. He had many crowds that would be following Him. There were many disciples, followers, not just the twelve, but many disciples, some believers, some not. There they are. And maybe they hear about this. They're at a distance. That's why the reason that is put there is because leprosy was a real horrible disease. It was miserable on them. It was demanded by Scripture and demanded by the law that they would stay at a distance from people. They were put out of town, outside the walls. This disease was a disease that attacked the nervous system. The nerve endings would be attacked. They got to where they would feel no pain. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That's a gift to have 
pain because you know what is happening. They could stick them a hand into the fire, not knowing that they're either just maybe they they hit a coal and they just put it in there. They don't feel it, and it burns off a finger. Or they could be eating something as they took it up to their hand, and they they could actually bite off a finger and not even know it, no feeling whatsoever. So they're driven away from their home, their families, the closest people. It's a highly contagious disease. If you looked in uh, Leviticus 13, we'll look at the law here for a moment. Leviticus 13, verse 45. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be uncovered and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. If anybody would come close to them or eat downwind, they would have to say, unclean, stay away. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Folks, this is one of the worst situations and diseases that anybody could be involved with at this time. It's absolutely horrible. And I want to tell you, spiritually, it's probably one of the best illustrations of what sin is. Is. Not that these men did a particular sin, but I'm saying it illustrates graphically what sin is to the nature of man. And we know here in this text today, in 17, 14, and 17, it talks about a cleansing. There has to be a cleansing, some kind of a healing of this disease. You want to know what? When you got leprosy, unless there's a miracle happening, you have leprosy really for the rest of your life. one who a commentator who I'm not really a fan of but he has some good things on culture and societal things so I'll just share this from a, a William Barclay who had Westminster Press and these little commentaries on each book of the Bible and they were pretty easy to read you pick up some things I haven't read in a long time and have to be real careful because there would be some liberal aspects in his teaching. So I would recommend him, but yet there are some things there that he got pretty good on what the culture was like. So here's what he described it here. It was was just a hideous progression of this disease. He says, it might begin with little nodules which go on to ulcerate. The ulcers develop a foul discharge. The eyebrows fall out. The eyes become staring. The vocal cords become ulcerated and the voice becomes hoarse and the breath wheezes. The hands and feet always ulcerate. Slowly the sufferer becomes a man of un or ulcerated growths. The average course of that kind of leprosy is nine years and it ends in mental decay coma, and ultimately death. 
leprosy might begin with a loss of all sensation in some part of the body, the nerve trunks are affected, the muscles waste away, the tendons contract until the hands are like claws. There follows ulceration of the hands and feet, then comes the progressive loss of fingers and toes until in the end a whole hand or a whole foot may drop off. The duration of that kind of leprosy is anything from 20 to 30 years. It's a kind of terrible, progressive death in which a man dies inch by inch. While physical disease was horrible, the terrible social consequences in ancient Israel only added to the misery. According to Josephus, lepers were treated as if they were, in effect, dead men. Nobody got close to them. Nobody talked to them. You were alone. That sounds horrible. What a graphic picture that we can get out of that. Folks, these are those ten men. Have you put yourself into that position? Or at least maybe say, what if I was a relative of them? I want to feel for them. What if I'm a mother and that's my son? I'm a father, that's my son. Or that's my brother who has that. I can't even go to him. How did the leper feel? Wow, and this could go on for 20 to 30 years and it never gets better, worse and worse. The Bible wants us to see ourselves in a natural state the way that we are. If you go to Romans 3, from head to foot, Dominated by sin. We are spiritual lepers at God's sight before Christ. We are lepers, folks. Did you get how desperate of a situation they were in? Our hearts are deceitful, desperately wicked, desperately sick. Jeremiah 17.9 says... Desperately. We are unclean before a holy God. Most people don't even know it. They have no feeling. So this caused distance. It caused a rupture in human relationships. Only God could intervene and make someone well. In this case, now take that spiritually. It's only God that can come to the spiritual leper and make him well. We can't even go to him. An awful disease. People have a proud refusal to acknowledge the true condition that they're in spiritually. As Ephesians 2 says, that we are dead in our transgressions. People will say, well, you know, I have my faults, but I'm only human. Of course, okay, I sin. Alright, if you want to call it that. But, you know, I'm basically what? Pretty good. 
We've all heard that. We hear it all the time, don't we? I'm only human. Humans are going to sin. So therefore, you know, God has to excuse me. Well, that's the same attitude that Pharisees were. They missed God's Savior when He was here. They really thought they were really good, didn't they? These ten men cry out to Jesus. They call Him Master. Verse 13, And they raise their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That's a key word. Mercy. Mercy means that you do not deserve anything. Matter of fact, here's what it is. It's really this. You deserve your just punishment. That's And mercy says, that's the wrath of God. That's the justice of God. Mercy says, I'm going to take you out of something that you don't deserve. Grace says, you're getting something that you don't deserve. Right? You deserve punishment. Mercy comes along and does this. They call Him Jesus. They call Him Master. <clears throat> Have mercy on us. Jesus is Savior. That's what Jesus means. Yeshua. Master. It's using a title that the disciples, the followers would use. This is a cry of desperation, folks. Have you got this picture? This leper. All those lepers crying out. They're desperate. They have no hope. It's a disaster. But there's a, and there's one Samaritan, at least in this group. It's interesting. Doesn't matter about their differences now, does it? They're all in that same condition. So let's get to the second part, the miracle. Verse 14 When he, it's Jesus, saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And they were going. They were cleansed. Okay, he saw them. Have you ever heard of the passage that deals with sheep without a shepherd? He sees them in their pitiful, pitiful condition. He has compassion. He feels for them. They are people who are lost. They are lonely listening to Alistair Big on this. And of course, almost every message he mentions at least one song that goes back to his days whenever he was a teenager or younger probably. He mentioned the song Eleanor Rigby. That's kind of interesting how he comes up with these songs. But that's what he grew up on. That's what many of us grew up on. Do you remember how that went? Look at all the lonely people. Where do they come from? Where do they all belong? Jesus sees the lonely, the lost. Now, these men can't run even to the temple. They're not allowed in there. They can't go to the priest. They have nowhere to go. You know where sinners are going at this time? Sinners... I think it was in Luke 16. Was 
verse 15. Yeah. Verse 1. Now, all the tax collectors and the sinners, these are the worst of society, were coming near Him to listen to Him. Not just hear, but to listen. All who have ears to hear, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man, Christ, receives sinners and eats with them. Aren't you glad? That was us. The lonely, the lost. The sinners saw something they needed. Back in chapter 15, it's a lot of the crowd that's there. These lepers know what condition they are in physically. Jesus doesn't immediately heal these lepers. He sees them, has compassion. He says, go show yourselves to the priest. That's what He says. That's all that's recorded there. Go show yourselves to the priest. What? Are they going to do something? Are they going to heal them? Well, see, that comes out of the law where it says that if a leper is healed, it's a big if, they're to go to the priest and they go through their rituals and they check them out. Just to check. It's like they become the local health official. That's really what it was. And they can verify after so many days and going through tests, rituals, ceremony, rituals, they would been, if it was true, they would be declared healed. No longer a leper. That would allow them back into society. It would take a priest to do that. Uh, Leviticus 13, Leviticus 14 goes into some elaborate details about that. We're not going to read all that this morning, but uh, biblically, I don't think there had been anybody healed, at least in Scripture, recording of this. Anybody healed being a leper since the days of Elisha, like 700 years before this. Jesus was on the scene and what's He doing? Healing lepers. Now whenever I said this, I'm talking about the time of Christ. He's already healed a leper. That's Luke 5. And we talked about how that is a picture of sin. How it destroys us. Eats us. Eats us up one sin at a time. Can you imagine being a priest? <laughs> These guys show up at the temple, could you imagine their reaction? Uh, get out the scrolls. Get Leviticus somewhere, guys. We, I have never seen this. Has anybody seen this? Nobody has really had to do this. But here it is. Let's go to Leviticus 13 just for a moment. Verse 2 and 3. I'm not going to read the whole thing. When a man has a... Uh, has on the skin of his body a swelling or a scab or a bright spot and it becomes an infection of leprosy on the skin of his body, then he should be brought to Aaron, representing the priest, the priest, or to one of his sons, the priest. 
The priest shall look at the mark on the skin of the body and if the hair and the infection has turned white and the infection appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it's an infection of leprosy. When the priest has looked at him, he shall pronounce him unclean. That's probably one of the worst things that you could ever hear as a human being. Unclean. I'm sorry, you will have to leave. Don't go around anyone. Hmm. So, and it's kind of interesting. If you're a priest, you're going, if these guys come in there and they don't have the leprosy, how'd this happen? They can't deny it. Most of the priests, what do you think they think of Jesus? They're in the religious establishment like the Pharisees, Sadducees, and all the other hypocrites and such, right? What are they going to... I can't deny it. I thought that was kind of interesting. It doesn't say anything about that in this story. But you know what? It's kind of interesting. They do as Jesus says. What does He say? Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. That means they turned around and said, okay, let's go to the temple. I guess that's where they would go. Where did the priest hang out? Unless there are local priests around there, that and, and priests did come from different areas, but to do all those sacrifices, the rituals, would require a temple. So I'm thinking, they've got a long way to travel. They're up north. they got to go to Jerusalem. It's going to take a pretty good little trip. So they do, as Jesus says, go to the priest... Can you imagine they walk in there and said, Hey, I don't have leprosy anymore, so could you stamp my ticket? <laughs> As they were walking, they noticed they had been healed. As they were going, they were cleansed. Now we go to part three. This is a grateful response to this miracle from one. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. By the way, he was a Samaritan. Jesus is turning the tables again. It's going to make people mad. First of all, we see a story of thankfulness here. That's the obvious one. I know you're saying, oh, Dennis, here we go with thankfulness again. You're going to be talking about that. I'll just check out today a little bit. That's why I said, wait for that surprise. Are you still waiting? Jesus always has the prize here, doesn't He? I don't have it. Jesus does. This story actually does separate the thankful from the thankless. In Romans 1, it says that those sinners that would not come to Christ and would deny Him, even though He has shown Himself to them and all through creation and His attributes of His power and His glory, they still would not give thanks to Him. An unbeliever... And all unbelievers, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, they really are not thankful. 
Some of those people would even say they believe in God and would pray at their meals. Some of those people, though, may not really know Christ. And that's where we're getting at here. Um, there's more here than about thankfulness. So I could spend a whole message on that. That's what our lives are about. But let's go further. What is distinguishing here? What distinguishes this story and this man from the other men? It says, he saw. Saw. One of them saw. Now, you're going to be saying, well, they all saw that they were healed. And you would be right. They all saw that they were healed. But, the inference is this. Hang on with this. There was one or something that this one man saw that the other nine didn't. What? They had to see that they were healed. I mean, they had to be jumping up with joy and just, you know. There they are. They've got one thing in mind to go to the temple. But there was one thing that he saw that made him turn around and go in the opposite direction that they were going. They're just doing what Jesus told them to do. They're real happy about this right now. So what did the man do? Look, the man, and we'll get to this, but he saw, right? And then what did he do? He came, came to Jesus. He praised Jesus. By the way, it says here, glorifying God with a what? Loud voice. I'm tempted to do that. <laughs> a loud voice. You know, there's there's an interesting phrase here out of the original language. It's phanos megas. Have you figured it out yet? Phanos, phone, sound, voice. Megas, mega, mega millions, big. Loud. <laughs> Megaphone. Megaphonos. Phonos. Megaphonos. Mega. Megaphonos. Megaphone. They, I mean, he was coming back shouting out. Now, I want to tell you, a leper is going to have trouble, even though that they were yelling at Jesus earlier. I'm sure it was very raspy and it was hard to get out that voice I don't you guys probably have noticed my voice over the last year two years and it's really changed drastically and I don't think it's because of leprosy but I really have a hard time getting it out it's like it's stuck here and I really have to force it and sometimes it sounds like I'm yelling I've got to do it to get it out and it, it sometimes it slurs over you know it's a, uh, that you know I'm, I'm just saying that I, I can imagine now he's getting this out and he's saying it with full force. This loud voice like a megaphone is what he had. Do you get that now? That's why Luke put that there. Now I don't know if they had megaphones back then or not. I doubt it. <clears throat> but they had lepers who were healed and that was a megaphone. And so he saw, he came, he praised, he fell on his face 
and then thanked him. You see that progression, don't you? 15, when he saw that he'd been healed, he turned back, so he goes to Jesus, he glorifies God, he thanks Him, falls on his face, he gives thanks, and he's a Samaritan. Okay, the Samaritan, the woman at the well. Just think on this. Let's take a little detour and we'll come back. The other nine are going where? To the temple. Where's that at? Well, in Jerusalem. Well, wait a minute. Don't the Samaritans have a temple too? If he's a Samaritan, where would he normally go? To the Samaritan temple, which would be pretty close. The nine keep on going. Let's say they're Jews. They're going to head to the temple. The priests are going to do their thing. Go to John 4. This is the little detour, but you'll see why we go here. John 4, 19. Jesus is going in Samaria. He's not averting the area. He's going right through it. Because there's a woman there that He's going to save. He's got to do that. It's on, it's on the plan. It's the purpose. 4.19 The woman said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> really? She's doing pretty good. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people, you Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. It's almost like they could kill over this difference in their religion. One of many, many differences. But about the temple, they'd have arguments all the time if they would talk to them. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Your temple is wrong. It's idolatry. We worship what we know. At least we're at, you know, what is truth. We have the whole Bible at that time. For salvation is from the Jews. From the Jews first. Then to the Gentile. Samaritans are half-breeds. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Do you get it? This man saw something. Wait a minute. I've gone to the temple. I've already been healed. I have to know this man. He's more than a man. It's got to be God. It's only God can do that. I want to know. I want to worship Him. I want to speak to Him. I want to say thanks to Him. Do you see what's going on here? What about that surprise that we asked about earlier? There's no surprise in being thankful or praising. People can do that. Unbelievers, I've heard say, thank God. Whenever they, they you know, there's been some kind of happening in, in the 
where it looked like things were destitute. And all of a sudden they were blessed. <laughs> and what? They say, thank God. You know, yeah, praise you, Jesus. And you find out that they never really trusted Jesus, but they say that. And they even think they mean it, maybe. All through Luke, we see people praising God as He would raise people from the dead and healings and such. So many have praised Jesus all throughout Luke. This is nothing that is different in that sense, is it? Why wouldn't you be doing that? It's an automatic, you would think. But it's what He saw. Where is the surprise? Where is the prize at here? It's what He saw. The nine saw that they were healed. This man saw something else. The prize right here. Right here in our Luke 17. This is the prize of our passage today. Glorified God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet. He fell on his feet. He, he thanked Jesus. Why? It's not just because Jesus is praiseworthy, and he certainly is. But what did he recognize? What did he see? The only fitting place to offer praise is at the feet of Jesus. He's thankful and he's thinking, I want to go to Him. I want to understand who He is. I want to listen to Him. I want to speak to Him. I have to meet Him. I have to talk with Him. He has to be God. I desire to worship Him. And he comes there and falls on his face. He prostrates himself before Jesus. What is that saying? You are God. You are God Most High. You are the Holy One. You are everything. He recognized where he wanted to be. That temple is not going to do him any good. He's already been healed. He wants the ultimate and that's to know Christ. That's where we're at. I've got to go to Him because He is amazing. It's always good to praise God, isn't it? People praise God all over the world, all over the, the, this country. People are meeting in churches today. And I fear that a lot of those people sitting in the pews have no idea of who Jesus is and they really don't care. They are just doing their thing, going to the building, the church, or whatever. The church is not the building. The temple is Jesus Christ. And this is not to say we're not to go to church. But when one goes to church, really they're meeting Christ. When we come here together, we're meeting Christ together. That's even better than meeting Him together as one, at least sometimes, right? I have to go back 
and understand Him. This is amazing what just happened. Wouldn't you want to be thinking that way? I don't want to go anywhere else. He has the words of eternal life. Now, he could have gone later to the temple. And by the way, it's like, if I go to Samaria and their temple, what are they going to do? If I go to the Jerusalem, all they can do is verify that I've been healed. That's already happened. And then Jesus is going to say something even more powerful. So, where do people worship? At the feet of Jesus. Temple doesn't make one a worshiper. Building stone. The distinguishing feature here is Christ. Do you get the prize? If you're a Christian, you know that prize. This is what it's about. You know what? This is how we can know that people truly see God as a generic God to most people. But we can know that they're true in their faith when they see their need for Christ. They bow their heads, prostrate themselves in a spiritual sense or even a physical sense before a holy, awesome, amazing God and recognize that they are nothing. They're a disaster. But He's everything. Why do I need to go to anywhere else to find satisfaction in life? Then Jesus answered in verse 17 and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? He knows. And He told them to go. They saw their physical healing, but this man saw his need of Christ besides the healing. That's what the difference is. Very distinguishing. He saw his need as Jesus Christ. It was met in that very moment. Did you know what? He went from a sinner to a saint like that. He wasn't looking for that to happen. They heard about this Jesus. Have mercy on us. Why? Because they knew their condition. Most people don't need mercy. They really do. We had to have mercy to be saved. But we also want mercy through the rest of our lives. Grace, love, mercy are beautiful words, aren't they? He's a genuine convert. The last point here. They went to the temple of Jesus. That's where they went. It would be verified by the priest that they're healed. Priests go, Jesus, huh? Must be a demon. (laughs) (laughs) Then Jesus says, was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? That's really what Jesus wanted to do besides just sending them there. Yes, they did. you got to commend them in the sense that they said, okay, we're going. And then after that, 
who knows how far down the road, then they're healed. And so they've got one thing in mind. It's really about themselves. This man has in mind Jesus the Master. Jesus says, except this foreigner. He's a foreigner. Man's a foreigner because he is a Samaritan. Okay, the other nine, let's say, Jews didn't come back. I'm Jewish. But the Samaritan, those evil people, the Jews are thinking, came back. Wow. The Samaritan. Jesus is always turning the tables, isn't he? He has used Samaritans before where it's made the Jews look bad. The foreigner could only go, even if he went to the temple, how can he get any further? Because there's the court of the Gentiles, which is away from the temple. It's not there right at the present. Then you have the court of the women. It's still not there. Then you have the court of men that get right up in there, but the priests actually walk in the temple and go to and fro. There's a sign really big before around the temple. And it says, no foreigners allowed past this point. This is it. This is as far as you can go. He's a foreigner. Jesus says, Stand up. He's bowing down before God. And he says, Go. It's okay now. Your faith has made you well. What made him go back to Jesus? His faith. Where does faith come from? God. God grants faith, doesn't he? He didn't have it before. He had enough to say, have mercy on us. And when somebody, and of course all of those guys were saying mercy, but it was really about the mercy that they would be healed physically. This man is healed, is healed physically and spiritually. Mentally, in every aspect, he is healed. Your faith has made you well. Sozo. Saved from his sin was saved to inherit eternal life and is now free from the leprosy and his next body that he'll get sometime will be glorious. Saved. People today need to cry out for mercy so the Lord would enable them to see Are you getting this? This is the whole story wrapped up in one sentence. People today need to cry out for mercy like this man did and then to see and he was enabled to see that the leprosy or sin is their nature. And be healed. 
so that they would come to Christ and fall at His feet and worship, thank Him, and glorify Him. Because that's the only way that people can do that. When they recognize they're in need, desperately, they need Christ. Let's pray. Father, what a story. It's the plight of humankind. Every man, woman, child is a leper. They need healed. They need to see their need of healing in a spiritual way that only comes from Christ. Christ alone. Lord, what a glorious time it's been this morning as we have met around Your feet. That the Word of God is proclaimed and that we would honor it. And that we as Christians, even though it's been a one-time happening for us, it's being justified. It's an ongoing thing of confessing our sin, repenting, crying out to Christ that we want to be more and more like Him. Thank You for this day. Thank You for the privilege that we've had. It's not an accident that You would put us together. It's all glory to You. Thank You, Father. Thank You, Son. Thank You, Holy Spirit. In Your Son's name, Amen.